one private money partner can change your life. I was able to have like a multi-million dollar real estate business with like a handful of private money partners. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen and we've just finished up this marketing series of podcasts and we're, I'm, I have the pleasure to have um, been able to get a, a guest on the podcast now that has been kind of a, a pseudo mentor of mine for a long time, even though she has no idea that she was. And it was a book that I picked up in the very beginning of my real estate journey that really changed everything for me in the, uh, the art of raising money. And before, I will talk about it a little bit, but I was using a 50-50 JV partner at the time and we were doing all of our flips together. So I was finding all the deals, doing all the work and he was bringing the money and I was splitting all the profit 50-50 with him. And when I realized that I could raise a bunch of money on my own, that relationship kind of changed and he kind of moved out and I started bringing in my own money and keeping 100% of the profits minus whatever I was paying in interest, obviously. So it was really a game changer for me. And if you're in our mastermind group, seven figure flipping and you've, or you've known me or anything like that, you'll know that I read hundreds and hundreds of books. I love books, but if you're looking for raising money, there's only one that, I, that I'll buy, that I'll send to you, that I'll recommend to you, anything. And I, I, I don't know how many books that she sold, but I've probably bought over 100 myself and just given them out to people um, over the past couple of years. So today, I'm honored to be sharing the microphone with Susan Laster Lyons. How are you doing, Susan? Doing awesome. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing really good. And I'm excited about this interview because, um, you know, Mike Simmons hooked us up uh, together. And when I heard you on his podcast, I was just really excited that, you know, now somebody has gotten uh, kind of to you on the podcast that I know, and hopefully <laughs> that he could uh, recommend you and just, really just talking to you uh, and tell, hopefully telling you my story and a little bit of my journey and how much you've changed my life and my business. Um, it's just, it's really cool to be able to, to do that with someone. And, and recently I've had a couple of guests on the podcast where they didn't even know that they were mentors of mine. And um, whether it was a book or a podcast that they have or blog posts that they wrote in the very beginning of my journey. And now to the point where I'm able to kind of pass that stuff down. It's really amazing. So you wrote a book called Getting the Money. And this book, um, and I love the, the other title on there. It's uh, How to Raise $250,000 in Private Money in the Next 30 Days. It's kind of mm -hmm. right on the cover. So if you're listening, what would it do for you guys if you could raise $250,000 in the next 30 days? What would it do for your business? What would it do for your life? And what would it do for the journey that you're on? And that's really what it, what it did for me was it allowed me to really grow and scale my business, uh, which is incredible. So first of all, thank you for writing the book. Um, I don't know who got it into my hands, but I just want to thank them. And then now it's kind of my mission and job to just say, look, I might recommend three books on leadership or I might recommend three books on something. There's only one book that you need to go raise money and this is it. So. I love that. Thank you so much. And, you know, I hear from so many people like you, you know, the whole secret mentor thing. Uh, I, you know, you write a book and you hope that people see value in the book and you hope that people take action on what you're sharing in the book and have results. And you hope that all that's happening out there, but sometimes you never really know. So I love having calls like this and speaking to guys like you who are like, hey, you know what, that, that book changed my life um, because it does 
have the power to do that. It did it for me. And that's mainly why I wanted to share that information with so many other people. So thanks for giving me a part of your platform to be able to deliver some value to your folks. Yeah. So hopefully everybody that's listening to this is going to go out and buy one of those. So um, <laughs> and we'll get to that at the end. But the, you know, the cool thing about this book is it really transcends any of the different niches of real estate too. So we're yeah. in this family wholesaling and flipping primarily. I also, you know, do some multifamily personally, but really our mastermind group in this podcast is pretty much directed towards single family, you know, wholesalers and house flippers. And there's some you know, buy and hold acquisitions, the sales side, but this also goes to the multifamily space to the, you know, anybody really Airbnbs, all the different niches that you've covered here, which is really amazing. So regardless of what you're doing, this book can help you um, you know, raise money in whatever venture you're in. And it even goes outside of real estate too, right? So we could- It does, yeah. You know, I've heard from so many guys who are in venture capital, right? Who have a business or an app or, you know, a piece of a SaaS business that they want to raise money for. And they're like, you know, can we use these same principles? I'm like, yeah, they're, you know, they kind of transcend just an asset class or a specific niche, as you say, um, because the, the principles that I teach about raising capital in the book are, you know, they kind of- it's appropriate for just about anything you want to raise money for and for whatever purpose you are you going to be utilizing that capital for. So, yeah. Cool. Is, is it okay if we share some of the things that are inside the book? So some of the takeaways yeah. that I got from the book? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The, the number one thing I think that I really resonated with you in reading this book is it's really relationship based. Mm-hmm. And I think Everything that we do from going into people, we buy a lot direct from sellers. So we'll just, you know, send marketing, send mail, all this stuff. And if you are thinking about the other person and building that relationship, getting them to, you know, you know, like, and trust each other, that's how you do business. And this was really that. It wasn't a, you know, sneaky way to build a sales process or pipeline or this funnel or anything. It was really just, you know, being yourself and, and putting yourself out there and just talking about, you know, a win-win situation. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. Look, I've, you know, back in the day when I first started in real estate investing, it was 1994. And I just remember, I did all the same things, right, that you guys have all done. I went to all the same seminars and boot camps and all the things, started wholesaling, did residential lease options, uh, single family fix and flips, single family rentals, multifamily rentals, kind of, you know, scaled up and ran the gamut. And, you know, the number one constraint in everybody's real estate business is capital, right? Lack of capital. So you have to have capital in order to grow a business. It's just a capital intensive business that we happen to be in, right? Uh, So my number one problem was money and getting access to it. And, you know, at first I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, put on the uh, a skirt and pantyhose and spanks, you know, get all dressed up and go to the, you know, Wells Fargo wealth management, you know, with all of our documentation. I mean, we had to, like, we had this presentation uh, that was so thick. I mean, we had so many pages of documents in this stupid presentation. We had to have a binder custom made to hold it all, right? And so here we are, my partner and I at the time, Eric, we were walking down in the banking district of Denver, Colorado, where I used to live. And we were just like kind of cold calling these banks and also had some appointments set up in advance to try to get them to give us a big line of credit so that we could fund our real estate investing business. And we like, you know, we had so many things 
going against us. First of all, they didn't know us. You know, we're just Eric and Susan. We don't have some multi-billion dollar or multi-million dollar company. We just wanted to do some flips uh, and make some money in our business and grow and scale it. And um, the first issue that we ran into was that we weren't being authentic, right? Eric didn't feel comfortable in a suit right? He was a construction guy. I didn't feel comfortable in a dress. I still can't walk in heels. I've never been able to walk in heels. So they look at me all wobbly coming in with the world's biggest binder. Nobody wants to talk about that, right? They couldn't get us out of there fast enough. So um, I thought I was just going to be kind of relegated to hard money for the rest of my life, eating into like the majority of my profits. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I finally had a real come to Jesus moment with one of my hard money lenders who was cutting me off, by the way, uh, to say, look, you know, how do you do this, right? How do, how do you get the capital and structure your, your private lending business uh, to make these loans. And he kind of, you know, peeled back the curtain and allowed me to come through and kind of see the inner workings of his private money business as a lender. So I saw it from his perspective and I was like, oh, okay, now I see where I went wrong, right? Now I see what you are after as a private lender and I see how I was completely missing the mark because I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I was focusing on things that you really don't care about. Um, and at the end of the day, this is very much a relationship business. That's why it drives me crazy when, you know, I talk to people who say, oh, I really love this approach and I want to use private money, but I don't want to have to talk to anybody that I know. Right. And I'm sure you've heard that too. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Right. Then no, this is not your business. I'm really sorry. You're going to have to find something else to do. But if you expect to be in business, especially this business, and you have a hang up about talking to people or sharing what you're doing in your business or inviting people to partner with you in your business, you've got a big giant problem that you need to try and get over. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something about like um, a partner there, because that's what, that's what I look at all of them as, you know, they're not my lenders. They're not my uh, they're, they're partners of mine, right? They're coming Absolutely. in, they're partnering on these deals. And so it's funny because a lot of times I'll say, Hey, you know, we're, we, we did this with our partners this year. We're looking, you know, maybe there's another partner that we're looking for on a deal and people are saying, Oh yeah. Hey, another real estate investor will reach out to me and be like, what are you looking for on a 50, 50 partner? I said, I don't think you really understand what I'm talking about here. <laughs> it's the underlying, uh, I'm throwing out a net obviously, and just seeing who's interested, but then we have start having those conversations. So I love the, that concept of just being yourself because, yeah. and, and putting yourself out there too, because the biggest thing for me, even before I get started, a lot of people, when they're getting going, like you're saying, I, I did that same thing. I put together this, um, my, like the past two flips that I had done. I went down to all these banks and I got, you know, I found out who the vice president was, a commercial lending there. And then I'd show up and they're like, ah, it's really not what we're looking for in our portfolio right now. Or hey, maybe a trailer park or maybe this is what we're looking for, but it's really not fix and flip single family houses. Right. And so, I was afraid to put myself out there to the world. I was afraid to say, hey, I'm doing this. Um, and I don't know why. It was just a mindset issue that I had that I didn't want to uh, tell anybody what I was doing until I was successful at it. And I think a lot of people see that, right? They want to. Yeah. So this is a concept that I talk about. Um, and I call it your secret identity. And I talk about it in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was a problem that I had. And it's a problem that a lot of your listeners are probably suffering from as well. You don't want to tell anybody what you're doing until you're successful. Why is that? It's because you're something else, right? 
my own example, I started with a, in the car rental business, like right, I was in college. So I was a sophomore in college and I went to work for Dollar Rent-A-Car at the old Stapleton Airport in Denver before they had Denver International Airport. And I was there for five years and then I worked for Hertz Rent-A-Car, was with Hertz for 11 years, climbing the corporate ladder. So all my family, friends, acquaintances, everybody knew me as the car rental girl. Hey, if you want a good deal on a car rental, call Susan. She can get you a good deal wherever you're going. Oh, you need something to do with, want to know if the insurance is a scam? Call Susan. She'll know, right? So it was all car rental, car rental. And I was always doing real estate investing or some sort of investing on the side, but I never wanted to share that because people would be like, wait, what? You're ruining my little box that I've put you in, right? Your identity that I've assigned to you. And I was also afraid to put it out there because what if I failed? What if I announced to all my friends and family that, hey, everybody, I'm doing real estate deals now. And then my projects just blew up and I couldn't make the business work. And then I would have to kind of retreat with my tail between my legs. And then my failure would become public to my friends and family. Look, your friends, your family, your acquaintances, they are the people in your life who want to help you the most. They can be your best source of leads. They can be your absolute easiest source of private money. That's what we call the low hanging fruit of private money. But I have to tell you, 99% of the people that I work with and coach to raise private money always say to me, oh, no, 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 I never want to start with the people that I know. I want to start with strangers because I think that'll be easier. And it's the exact opposite. They're making it so much more difficult on themselves because they refuse to tell people what they're doing because they're embarrassed or they have some fear or they refuse to, to like pitch the people who know them, love them and trust them. And you just make it so much harder on yourself when you do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So I was a Navy pilot. Uh, so 15 years active duty Navy, I was flying helicopters and airplanes for the Navy. And wow. I remember when I kind of changed that secret identity, right? Because I, I, was, I was doing a house, but I, was, I wasn't sure. Like I, I did my first flip uh, when I was in Maryland. And I wasn't sure if that was something that I would want to announce and everybody would know about it because then they'd say, well, now why are you doing that? And what I find is that's that kind of mindset piece. You have a lot of people that it's really that, that uh, Jim Rohn quote, right? You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And a lot of times people are pulling you down. And what I felt found was the people that I was spending time with were the people who were saying, why would you go do that? Why aren't you spending more time doing this? Or I'll, I'll actually like questioning what I was doing as opposed to giving me the, um, the encouragement that I needed to go do that. So part of that Part of my story was that. And then the other part was when, what I found was when I started putting myself out there and I just said, okay, forget this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow your advice. So I, I found this book, right? I found this book and I said, you know, this is, it, it is relationship. It's everything that I do in my life is just relationship based. And then I do have the secret identity that I'm trying to hide. And why is that? Why, why not just put it out there? I put it out there and it was almost overwhelming, especially today. So many people are watching these flipping shows and they want to get involved and they, now they feel like they're part of it. So the people that lend money to me, they feel it's exciting for them. They're part of these, they can talk to their friends. My dad was, is one of my lenders and he, he was in the beginning. Obviously, I can't use his IRA and 401k or any of those things that I've showed him how to invest in real estate now. So uh, I help him you know, get some connections with people that I know. But he would go play poker with his friends and say, 
uh, hey, my, you should talk to my son. You know, he's doing this and this and this. And you just start getting these extensions of you going out there that are happy with the returns that they're getting, just basically pumping you up all over the place. And like you said, totally. so totally. easy to get in there and then they can just help you. They want, to, they want you to be successful. They do. They want you to be successful and they want to share in that success. Seriously. It's the people, if you have people who you share this with and they're not supportive of you, they're doing it for one of two reasons. One, not so good. And one, I think good, but still bad. They're doing it because they may be jealous, right? Have a little bit of jealousy because um, a lot of times when we have a strong reaction to something, it's we're projecting something that's within us, right? So maybe it's somebody who has these dreams themselves and they want to have the courage to kind of strike out and make it happen, but there's too much fear there or a reason why they can't. So they might be kind of trying to keep you down, you know, in your words for that reason. Mm. Um, another reason is, and I found this in my own family, was out of a need to, to protect me, kind of a, this weird misguided protection theory, right? Where, oh, we don't want you to get hurt. We don't want you to lose money. We don't want you to get in trouble, right? So it was, you know, it's kind of like if you're overweight and people are like, oh, we're not going to say you're fat, but we just want you to be healthy. Well, you're still saying I'm fat. You know? <laughs> Thanks, I think. You know, appreciate your concern. It's the same thing. People just, they want to keep you safe and they in a backdoor way, they're saying, we think you're going to screw it up. So we don't want you to do that because we want you to be safe. And it's great, but it's not doing you any favors. Yeah. We just had a mastermind meeting. We talked about mindset. And I think that's like the number one problem that a lot of people have from getting from, you know, where they are to where they want to go. And totally. even at a high, really high level. So it's, and it's, it's over, it's kind of overstated and overplayed that word, but it, it is the most important thing. And that's what's stopping us. Just that one little thing that I can't raise, like no, the no money was one that, so I, I had all of our members, I'm talking, these, these are people that are making you know, upwards of a million dollars in profit per year, a couple million dollars in profit. Some one guy's doing over 5 million in profit per year. So, wow. and we got people anywhere from 200,000 and up per year. And we just, I got a whiteboard out and I just said, what's holding you back? Just start, or what has held you back in the past and just throw them out there. No time, no money, no connections, no, the marketplace, the competition, you know, just you name it, everything gets thrown out there. And I really dialed into that money one because I said, you know what, this is a perfect one for me to key off of because there was a time where I was afraid of this. And I, that was a, that was a mindset issue for me was no money. But, you know, in, and I'll just, I mean, your book was transitional for that. It was reading the book and then putting that into place, taking the action that's needed and then raising millions of dollars, no problem. And now <laughs> it will never, ever, ever, ever be a problem for me again. Nope. And and there's people in that room who are, they're at a place where I was, where it is a problem for them. So it's, you can get to a place in this mindset where once you start believing something and really knowing that it's true, it will never rear its ugly head. And there are things that will rear their ugly heads at us, but that no money one, we can just crush it. And because you can take all my money, drop me on the corner somewhere, and it will never be an issue. It might take me longer to find it, but it will never be a limiting belief of mine again. And there are so many of these things in, in our minds that are stopping us. But I think with this, the framework that you set up, and I do want to dig into the framework, is that with that framework and the proper action and you start seeing success, what happens is you just go over and over and over again, just change that belief and it's gone. And I, hopefully everybody that's listening, there's people who are going, oh, these guys, they got a rich uncle or a rich cousin or that guy, he said his dad is a lender. His dad is loaded. He gives him all of his money. It's, it, it, that's not the case. 
you know, and it's the relationships that we build. It's, and every time we see success, our lenders start seeing success. I have people that every, every quarter I send, I send an email to them about how we're doing. And every quarter I get a response that says, Hey, I got another hundred thousand. I'd like to put, I'd like to reinvest it. I'd like to do it. So, um, it's, it's almost like you've read the book. <laughs> yeah. It's managing, <laughs> managing the expectations of my lenders. Right. So it's like one of the last chapter t- towards the end of the book. So yeah, you got to treat them well. You got to manage. It. It's not like, look, and that's a concept I talk about in the book too, is like the power of one, just one, mm-hmm. right. One private money partner can change your life. It's not like you have to People are like, Oh God, now I have to put uh, pitching, you know, and I have to go out and pitch people. Like every time I have a deal, I'm like, why, why would you need to do that? No. I mean, I was able to have like a multi-million dollar real estate business with like a handful of private money partners. I mean, you don't need a whole lot of capacity, especially if you're flipping, you know, and you're reasonably good at it. I mean, we were turning single families like every about 4.3 months, four and a half months, you know, we would give ourselves like six months term on the loans that we were, that we were getting from our private money partners. But Dude, it's like my first private money partner that I met at the RIA, right? I do, I did have a rich uncle, but he turned me down. He said he was quite happy in his preferred stocks and he didn't want to, you know, kind of hand his money over to me to manage because I was the car rental girl and that was fine. That's okay. Told me years later that he thought that was a big mistake in his financial life. And so it felt good to hear that. But um, no, my first private money partner was this guy at the RIA named Rick, who just happened to sit down next to me and he looked so dirty. I thought he was a homeless guy at first. Um, <laughs> and we just got to talking and he's like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I do flips. And what are you doing? He goes, well, I just, you know, I have some retirement money I'm looking to put to work. And I was like, hmm, I think I can help you with that, right? So it started with 300,000 bucks. At that time, my all in on my deals is about 170. So technically I could use, just using his money, I could do four deals a year. You know, average profit, 25 grand on each of those, that's 100 grand in profit a deal just a year, just with one private money partner, right? Now you bring in the second, the third, Rick's not gonna keep his mouth shut, right? Like your dad at the poker game, he's gonna brag to all his friends about the money that he's making and that's exactly what ended up happening. And when you take care of those private money partners and when you share with them what you're doing and you share with them the success that you're having and you share with them the kind of projects that you have, then you kind of manufacture that FOMO, right? That Mm -hmm. fear of missing out like, ooh, look at the cool project. How come I didn't know about that cool project? Don't forget about me. I've got another $100,000 for you. So like all the things you're talking about, that's exactly by design, right? That's how that works. And if you do it right, which you do and you have, then that's the result that you're going to get. It just, I mean, I would hate to say that it can't fail because I'm sure somebody could find a way to screw it up, but I've yet to kind of find a way that it really fails. Yeah. So let's talk about the framework a little bit of, of, so the, the book kind of rolls out this relationship piece in the beginning and a little of the background of kind of why some of the real estate investors struggle and one of them being money. And I did in the beginning. So now it's just, Hey, let's get over that fear. Let's figure this out together. And you talk a little bit about who you are and a lot of what you talked about already with the, you know, high heels and dressing up. You just wanted to be yourself, right? You just wanted to basically shorts and flip flops. Shorts and flip-flops in a Mexican restaurant drinking margaritas, right? Margaritas and chips and salsa. That's how I want to pitch. That's how I want to pitch, right? I don't want to go to your bank or your conference room and have to wear Spanx. 
I can't breathe. I want to have a giant margarita and some chips and let me tell you about what we're doing. And if it's a good fit for you, that's awesome. If it's not a good fit for you, that's awesome. We still had some fun drinks and yummy chips yep. and I didn't have to dress up. I love this. that. So we've got this, you know, just the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me was when we talk about kind of this pitch, I'm basically presenting them an opportunity is the way I look at it, right? And believe me, anything that I say on this podcast episode is likely just straight from your book because I don't have any original thoughts in real estate at all is what I think. (laughs) Like I base, it's just all repurposed, restructured Frankenstein model. I find what's successful and I model it myself. And I find that's like my secret weapon is that I can take all this stuff, curate it, and then just put it into place uh, the proper way to be able to build my company. I don't actually think that we've done anything original at all. And I'll be the first one to say it. So go ahead. You've you've, uh, taken existing frameworks and probably put your original spin on it. And, you know, you've kind of mixed in your own mojo and your own uniqueness in there. And that's what gives you the secret sauce. Because don't sell yourself short. All right. I appreciate that. Um, But I, okay, you're right. But what I love to do is, is just, this is an opportunity. A lot of times I say, hey, you know, this, I, I'll tell even tell them about something and say, do you know somebody who might be interested in that? Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that quotes from the book, maybe it's not, but I'm saying, are you interested in that? And typically they're like, well, I don't know anybody who's interested, but I am. I'd be yeah. interested in making this for sure. Like, Absolutely. Uh, you know, this, this return sounds great or yeah, let me hear some more. Everybody that I work with, I don't work with any cold traffic. I, there's nobody that um, that I cold call f- personally for money. I really, I build off of previous relationships or potentially referrals of somebody who is kind of in my network somehow. But um, I've, I've done a couple of those calls where people have, I haven't known who they were and it was a, a fr- kind of like a friend of a friend and it was uncomfortable. I felt like I was selling something. I didn't yeah. like it. And it's just, they, they didn't, they weren't really interested. So yeah. I feel like the no like and trust thing, if I go back to that, all the people, I mean, I have millions of dollars and the, it's all people that know, like, and trust me. And if they weren't, if we we're just kind of getting to know each other in the beginning, it, it's built up with that trust over time. But it's, it is my, I have previous commanding officers of mine in the military that are my lenders. I have family Love members. It. I have kind of extended family members. I have some friends. I have other real estate investors that I've worked with in the past. And now I lend money and I don't lend money to anybody that calls me. I only lend money to people who Pretty much, they're in the mastermind group. I know they're successful. I, I, we are, have a great relationship. We know each other well, and I trust them because I've had to foreclose on houses before. I've gotten a deed in lieu of foreclosure before, and it was all people that, it was very early on in my lending career, and it was people that I didn't know very well that I thought I knew. And it went south because they just weren't the kind of people that I should have worked with. Amen. I hear you. Good. Good for you. You're, <laughs> I mean, that's the model. Seriously. The no like trust. Um, you know, the, and I, I want to like really, really, um, draw out a couple of the points that you made, you know, that are kind of relative to this relationship financing, uh, kind of concept that I, I like to talk about and, and write about. Um, the bottom line is that w- the reason why I call them private money partners is because I don't want to put myself in that subservient role in the relationship right off of the bat. Mm-hmm. I think that psychologically, right, we can kind of go back to the mental, the mindset piece of it. Um, when you put yourself in the role of a borrower and you are going to a lender 
to ask for money, to borrow money, right? For me, it brought up all sorts of grossness, right? I remember when I was in college one time and, you know, didn't have any money and I needed to borrow money from my grandmother. I felt like, I mean, I broke out in a sweat. I started to feel nauseous. My stomach got rumbly. My palms were sweaty. And I was so nervous and embarrassed to ask her to borrow money. Uh, I just, I thought, you know, I'm never going to put myself in this position ever again. And when I realized, oh God, you know, now I find myself in a business where I literally have to borrow money for every project I do. Why did I do this to myself? You know? Uh, but I thought, you know, if I can just kind of flip the script in my head, right. And put myself on equal footing with these people, then maybe it will go better. And I think that speaks a little bit to what you're talking about. Um, and when I decided to do that and call them a partner as opposed to a lender, then I was able to pitch them on an opportunity as opposed to ask them to borrow money. There's a huge difference. And I think that that difference is more important to us and our mindset than it is to anybody else. I completely agree. It, as you were saying that, it reminded me of a conversation that I had with my aunt. So my aunt was interested in lending. So my dad has six, or he's one of six. So he's got five brothers and sisters. And five of the six are lenders of mine right now. And my aunt, one, she's one of our lenders now, but she came to me and said, well, if you need money, just let me know. And I was like, I don't need money. It's, you're not, I, she came to me kind of like, I'm going to do you a favor. Oh no. And I said, Hi, I said who's doing I, the favor? That's exactly right. I said, actually, I I don't need the money at all. You know, this is an opportunity for you to make money with me and we can make yeah. some money together. So if it's not a win-win, then we can just, you know, stop the conversation right now and I'll just I'll present the opportunity to somebody else who does want to make those kind of returns. And that's the conversation that we had. And I think that just that one conversation changed the whole relationship when it came to this. And so now each time we do a lending deal together, she knows that she is the one who's benefiting from this just as much, if not more than me. And Perfect. that is the total shift. Obviously, I had already had some experience before that. Um, in, in lending. So it was easy for me to have that conversation then. And now every time I get those at-bats, I become more and more skilled at how I converse with people. Because awesome. if anybody comes at me like that, the conversation is pretty much over now. Over. I, yeah, I can find somebody who would love this opportunity. And I want them to be happy too. It, yeah. I mean, she was, su I'll just be upfront. She had such a low interest rate at that time. That year, I said, I got to give you a bump in one point next year. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got to the point where we were doing really well in real estate business and she's getting like 5%. So I put her up to 6%. And so who, who out there would love to have like a couple hundred thousand dollars at 5% or 6%? Most people are paying 10, you know, two and 12, 10, 10% and, you know, three points, all this stuff now with hard money. So, um, it's really, it's, it's really about the opportunity and you're not doing them a favor. So if you set up that relationship in the beginning, it's really hard. So, yeah. you know, the other thing I want to just touch on really quickly too, is the, the pitch itself, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you had alluded to before when you're kind of, you know, talking about this, you know, like, do you know anybody who's interested in this? They're like, well, you know, I don't know, but I'm interested, right? So I engineered a specific way to get that as well. And it has to do with the pitch. And specifically because I want people to pitch people that, that they that know them, like them and trust them, their friends, their acquaintances and their family. So uh, people who are afraid, you know, to like share the details of what they're doing with people and, you know, make a presentation that would 
ask for um, a partnership, uh, people would say, well, I, you know, I feel scared to make this pitch and I feel like an Amway salesperson, like it's multi-level marketing and hi, will you be home on Thursday? I'd like to stop by with an opportunity. Ooh, it just, you know, it sounds so sleazy and it's like, oh no, he's going to try to sell me something, right? No, no, hide. But what I instructed people to do was just reach out to the people that you know, right? Your friends and your family and say, hey, you know, I'm going to start pitching for capital investment in my business, my real estate business. I have a presentation that I want to make. Would you like mind listening to it as I deliver it and then give me some feedback on the presentation and the pitch to tell me like what you thought of it, how you think I did, was it clear, you know, just ask somebody to kind of sit down with you and, you know, listen and give you feedback. And that is how we engineered that reaction, right? So I was able to kill two birds with one stone, get the people who are afraid to pitch actually pitching under the pretense of they're just asking for feedback. And then what invariably happens is the people are like, okay, well, yeah, that, pitch needs some work, but how does this work? I want, I want in, you know? And so then they're like, oh my God, I didn't mean to, but now I have like four private money partners. How did it happen? I'm like, well, it happened by design, right? And that's the, the beauty of being able to work with people that, that you already know, like, and trust. Okay. That's a gold mine right there. So I hope you guys all wrote that down. So if you're uncomfortable getting going, just reach out to somebody and have them listen to you. No yeah. pressure, no nothing. And typically, and reach out to your richest uh, people that you know that have the most money in their bank account. Uh, you know, it's that's that's an interest. I, I was that in the book. If it, whew, if it wasn't, you need know. to do an update. I, I don't think it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. That was later in my coaching when I would work with people because they were too afraid to pitch. That's a that's a goldmine right there, and I love that. Maybe that'll be in the sequel. That's what I was gonna say. You might we need to do an amended copy and uh, uh, version two. So that that kind of thing. Uh, changes it, right? It may, it takes all the pressure off of you. You're going to it just assuming that you're going to get some feedback. And um, typically, yeah, you're going to have some people who are really interested. So I love yeah, it. The, absolutely. You, you talk about the presentation in there and like the psychology of the presentation a little bit. And even, even maybe backing up a little bit, you had this like elevator pitch that you would kind of, when somebody says, what do you do? Value I think, statement. Exactly. The value statement. I think this is, this depending on where you are and what you do, you can engineer whatever you want to say. So if you're in raising money mode, this is perfect. Um, We've actually taken it and gone and used it on hiring mode. So like now that you know a little bit about what we do, do you know anyone who might be interested in working for a company like that? Mm. And really get referrals for um, somebody who we could actually hire in our business because we're constantly hiring and looking for people. So if you're in money raising mode, this value statement, you can almost like tweak it and design it depending on what you want. But this beginning, like, it, it all kind of stemmed from that, like reading this book and saying, okay, well, I've raised money using this. What else could I use using this where it's my first kind of elevator statement or pitch to them? It's like your business card, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's been printed on business cards and read back to me, right? So it's, you know, I put together lucrative real estate deals so that my partners make safe, consistent returns. And people are like, holy shit, <laughs> uh, how do you do that? Or I want more more information about that. And so, you know, people will read the book and they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Can I use this? Can I say this? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, I put it out there in the ether. It's not like I'm going to trademark this one little saying and no, you owe me a residual every time you say it. Come on, man. I just put it in there because I know it works and I know it's going to elicit the kind of response that you want. Quick story. I went to a Christmas party um, at 
you know, this uh, designer showroom at the design center in Denver a few years back. And it was a big, you know, kind of fancy affair. And it was catered and had a, you know, a full uh, bar and all this stuff. So I go up to the bar and there's this bartender there. And he's like, you know, looking at me kind of funny. And I'm like, why is that guy, you know, why are you fronting? <laughs> What's up here? Am I going to have to rumble? Um, but he just <laughs> kind of kept looking at me and I was like, what is going on with this guy? So I got up to the front of the line and uh, he was like, are you Susan Lassiter Lyons? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, please wait right here. I'm going to be right back. And he went in the back and he came back out and he handed me a business card. And he was like a cater waiter, but he was investing in real estate on the side. And he had read the book and was raising private money. He had a business card where he had that value statement from my book printed on me and he handed it to me. And then he proceeded to make me the world's strongest vodka soda and I almost passed out. But <laughs> I was like, who, I mean, what are the odds, right, that that's going to happen? So if, if, you, if you have access to the book uh, or if you didn't write what, down what I said quick enough, use that. Rip it off. Say it. It works, right? Trust me. It works coast to coast. Yeah, and if he hands out enough of those business cards and says it enough, he won't be uh, he won't be bartending at that uh, cocktail. Hey, that guy hour. was in the right place, yeah. absolutely, because there were some high rollers there that night for sure. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so that that presentation. So you got this value statement, and that's kind of getting your foot in the door. And then, um, you know what that did? So I, now, I, a lot of times I say I'm a real estate day trader, and oh. that kind of something that I've created because now it makes people say what? Yeah. Well, yeah, we buy and sell a house a day or so. You know, and then the conversation starts going and then I can take it anywhere I want, depending on who I'm talking to. But what when reading yours and kind of hearing that and using it over and over and over again, what it did was it it told me what all I'm trying to do is get a reaction as opposed to I'm a real estate investor. And they're like, oh, uh, slumlord and kind of walk away in their mind. Right. And if you, you just got to change the narrative, right? You change the story that's going on in your head and their head. And if you can get a reaction of some sort, so I'm constantly like playing with it and tweaking it just to see like, where am I? Who am I talking to? What's yeah. going to get the best reaction? And where do I want to take the conversation? And try to get just get my foot in the door. So it's all about that. So I've That's kind exactly of exactly what it is. I love that the real estate day trader because then you're not locked into just a specific conversation. Right now you have avenues. It's like, well, am I going to talk to him about you know? Is this going to be a seller talk? Is it going to be a buyer talk? Is it going to be a private money partner talk? Right? You got a lot of angles that you can work. Is this a single family person, multifamily? I also have a coaching and mastermind group, so it's kind. Yeah. Of like who who is gonna react to this and how? So that's yeah. kind of the the angle that I've been going for about the last year, and I've gotten some incredible reactions. I've gotten some people who you, typically they just say, "What are you talking about?" I've never heard that before. It's, <laughs> it. Or they look at me really confused. So and then I can and then I can say, "Well, you know, depending on where I'm at, it might be, hey, I'm gonna take this to a money lending side." Because then usually I say, well, what do you do? And then they say what they do. And then we get into a conversation. But they, they always come back to that. Like, can you just describe that for a second? Mm -hmm. so, um, because sometimes people just don't have any money, right? Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I, I don't know if they're, I want them to bring them in as my partner, right? In the beginning, it's, it's hey, we're looking for people out there. Now I can be very, very, I can filter people a lot, a lot closer now. And just, hey, sorry. And now I'm just making my list of who wants what interest rate and where they're going to go. And sorry, if I had some guy say, I want 15%, I was like, you can, I'll put you on the list, but I probably will never call you. And right. then, and then he goes, well, I could probably do like seven or eight. And I was just checking. So it's just the re response and reaction that we give. So I kind yeah. of like go to that. And, and here's the, the trick too, you know, especially if you're flipping, right? Like we were using, we, we could do a flip in like every, every four and a half months. 
right? So if you tell somebody you pay 15%, well, sure, you could pay 15% annualized, but on a six month flip, they're still getting seven and a half. Yep. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just all how you explain it and setting expectations. You know, well, I always talk about, you know, that the disappointment zone is that zone between expectation and reality. So it's our job to close this zone with our private money partners, with all of our partners, honestly, our vendors, all of our partners, so that we all come down to be on the exact same page. So that not expecting one thing and we're, you know, expecting something else. Because the last thing you want is to, you know, piss off one of your private money partners. That's a relationship that you want to keep for life. Yeah, I think that's a big takeaway for them because uh, for the listeners, especially as you're getting going into borrowing money or, you know, uh, bring, you know, presenting opportunities to someone. Let's just say that I'm not borrowing right. money, uh, but we are borrowing money. So yeah. we've got somebody who comes in and typically what, you'll, what a lot of people say in the, in the early stages, I'll pay this, right? So this presentation, this, this relationship and how you're building it and what you're talking about, it, because they're saying, okay, well, I pay two and 12 right now on my hard money. So if I just get 10% flat, then that's great. And it could be good. But for me, it's not good. If somebody comes in at me at 10% now, I'd say, well, hey, I'll put you on the list, but I might not call you. I might call you something, an opportunity might come up, but that's where you are. You know, how much do you have? So I kind of want to go into the presentation a little bit because I think sure. this is, this is like the, the hardest thing for the early investor, I think of, okay, I've got somebody who's interesting and in, interested in lending money. And next thing, like the the bells are going off in my head and I'm so excited. I'm just gonna say, I'll give you 10%. Just give me anything. And you sound desperate, right? Way so, to scare off your potential partner. Yeah, yeah. Now they're running for the hills. They think you're the next Bernie Madoff. Or in my so, case, Bernadette Madoff. So, so why is that? Oh boy. <clears throat> um, because everybody is trained to, well, it, Orton Claff wrote a great book about it, right? So he goes really deep into this piece of the psychology uh, in his book, Pitch Anything, which is also a brilliant book. It's phenomenal. One of my favorites. I love it. It's, you know, and Orin is a friend of mine. And so we talk and uh, I was like, you know, you, you pick up like right where I left off, right? With the psychology of like why we say things and why we don't say certain things. Uh, when he talks about like the croc brain, right? It's mm -hmm. just our biological uh, response mechanism that is wired to look for danger. And, you know, back in caveman days, it was danger, like bodily danger, like we were going to get run over by an elephant or something. And so we had to be careful. Now it's who's going to try and scam us out of our money, right? So if you're ever with somebody and kind of the back, that hair on the back of your neck, stands up, you get that shiver up your spine, like what's going on right now? You just get that weird off-putting feeling. That's a red flag. And if there's something like that, people are just going to naturally kind of go away from you because you're kind of repelling them. Um, and the way that you repel them is by seemingly offering them something that in, by their definition seems too good to be true. So I learned this lesson the hard way. Um, when I first came up, right, and was getting private money, private money in Denver back in the day was four and 15. We had to pay four points and 15%. Um, and I thought, hey, I'll ditch the four points, right, but I'll pay 15% because that was honestly what I was used to paying. I thought I was getting a good deal, like you said, because I ditched the points. And I told the first couple of private money partners that I could offer them 15% and they were like, uh, okay. And I honestly think that's why my uncle, Bill, you know, my rich uncle that we were kind of joking about earlier, didn't want any part of it because he's like, oh boy, okay, here we go, right? This is a recipe for disaster. I've seen this movie before and I know exactly how it ends. Mm -hmm. um, so once I 
just completely eliminated any talk at all about what I intended to pay someone when I was pitching them, then my success rate skyrocketed. What I mean by this is um, people ask me all the time, they're like, Susan, like, what should we be paying for private money? And I never answer the question except to ask another question. I always say, I don't know. What can the deal afford to pay? Right? So the first step is running your numbers on the deal to understand what can I afford to pay for debt? Right? How, for my debt service, like how much can I afford to pay and still get a great profit for myself? You keep that to yourself, right? So if it is 15%, you can afford, you know, 15% debt service. That's great, but you're not going to lead with that. Here's the secret question, right? This is the best question ever. Um, through the course of the pitch or the presentation, we were chatting with somebody. I like to ask the money that you're considering investing with me, how much is it currently making? You're going to hear anything, right, from negative to, you know, sometimes it'll be higher. Uh, you know, I was getting consistently like 1%, 2%, sometimes negative percent. And if it was reasonable, then I could easily come back and say, okay, well, what if I could double that? So if you have somebody who's got money locked in a CD, it's only paying maybe 2% interest, and, you know, you think real hard and you know you can afford to pay up to 15, but now you're offering to double their return and you only have to pay four, dude, that's what I call a, a triple win, right? Mm -hmm. Win, win, win. You're saving money, so you just increase your profitability. You've doubled the return that they're getting, and now you have a private money partner that it thinks you're, like, spectacular, right? That's how we started getting private money at like 4%. And, you know, the record so far that I've heard was this one student of mine, Roberta Eastman, she got, um, we had this contest once, who could get it for the lowest? She got it for 3.55%. And I was like, hot darn, right? This is exactly what we're talking about. And that's how you go from that kind of crazy, desperate, I want to pay you this, to, huh, okay, um, I'm going to make this a win-win for us, but now I'm going to bring it back down to, you know, something that's more realistic for your crock brain not to be wired to run away from. Yeah, Does that make I sense? think absolutely. I think that's really important because they get scared. They think it's a scam totally. initially. You totally. go too high, even 10%, 12%. And it's, it's interesting because for me, ev all these, everybody, there's lots of different types of investors that will lend money. So you talk about the three types in your book and I want to go there, but the timeline also dictates who you can, who you're going to approach. Because a lot of people, those relationships, sometimes it takes time, right? Like my aunt who's like, yeah. Hey, if you need some money, I can help you. And then it took a little bit of time for her to kind of warm up to it and really understand it and say, okay. And now the, my, my one holdout uncle, I don't know if he'll listen to it. Maybe, maybe I'll send it to him. He's the only one of the brothers and sisters who's not an active investor in our business right now. And he, but he came to me about a year and a half ago and said, Hey, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more. So I talked to him about it. I know he's got an IRA that's, that's probably got a, couple, a million or two in it. And it's, just it's I'm on his on his timeline now. He's getting comfortable with it. He's understanding. And what I like to do is, as I got more advanced, I like to just understand the person. So my conversations usually a hundred percent them. Where's your money now? What is it making? What's working? What's not working there? Why are we even having this conversation? What are some of your long term goals with that money? 
Do you need it right now? Do you need a monthly payment? Do you want to grow it over time? Is it an IRA? Is it a taxable account? Here's what happens in your taxable account. You're actually going to have to pay taxes on this money, just like you do in the stock market, it's, right. but it's more active income. So it's going to be a higher rate. So all of these things, right? You're paying, well, you're paying interest. You're getting a 1099 INT. So really explaining to them everything. And the more I'm, I'm more of an educator now. And then it becomes, so, you know, what, it, what, it, once I understand their goals, I can say, okay, what's your money making now? And as you get more advanced, you can understand that they don't like the ups and downs of the stock market. Right. It's, the, it's the uncertainty that comes where you're providing a fixed rate of return. Right. And if you can show them what a fixed rate of return can do compounding over time versus a return that goes down year one and then goes up year two and the average is the same number, but they'll actually have less money in their account, you can really blow their mind. Mm-hmm. But what happens is a lot of times we'll just go straight for the juggler and be like, just move your money from there to here. Take it out of your CD. I know you have to pay a penalty, but let me show you how you can make this return here. And they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, you're, you're coming on too fast, right? Yeah, definitely. You just got to date a little bit before you just jump yeah. in. Yeah. And the beauty about your approach, you know, in asking all those questions, every single one of those questions that you're asking is designed to give you a piece of information to understand how you need to work with that private money partner. So, you know, we need to get the money positioned. Where is the money? Is it in a CD? They have to pay a penalty. Is it in an IRA? We need to roll it over to a self-directed so they can stroke a check, right? So the whole, like, it seems like your little checklist there is designed to kind of give you all of the information that you need to be able to manage that partner appropriately. And that's really smart. Yeah. The way I teach this now to our mastermind, like our members and our groups is what, what we do is we work so hard for the lead of the house and the seller. We work so hard getting the deal from the seller. Mm-hmm. And then we just lay down and roll over for our private money lenders. Mm-hmm. We're like, we'll just give you anything. Mm-hmm. But we don't look at it like this, the same way. It's a, it's a funnel. You're bringing leads in, you're converting these leads into lenders, and you're actually negotiating with them just like you're negotiating with the seller. But if you can find that win-win and you can really treat them, going back to the beginning, this relationship business, we really get to the point where we're, we're working just as hard for the money as we are for the lead and the deal. Otherwise, you're just giving it all away. Yeah. It works so, it's so hard to find a deal right now. The, the market is competitive. I'm not, I'll be the first one to say it is. And we work so hard to go grab that deal, but then we just lay down for our private money lenders and let them run the show once we get the deal. It's, it doesn't make sense. If you, if you treat it the same way as you do all the sales training and negotiation, like you, I'm just getting information. I'm just trying to figure out what, what's their why. Why are they doing it? Why, hey, sometimes I'll say, well, why don't, if you're making 15% of the stock market, why don't you just leave your money there? It's like, why are we even talking? Yeah. Why are, and why are and we then they, conversation? and their answer is usually, well, um, I, you know, I didn't make 15% last year. Last year I made seven right. and next year I'm concerned and I don't, I, I'm about to retire. So I don't want to have a down year when I retire and I'm exactly. worried about the upcoming election and all this, whatever it is, there's something that's going on in their mind that made, made them pick up the phone same way when they got our postcard. So yeah. who, are the, who are the three types of investors that you talk about in, in the book? There's like three different like private money lenders that come out. Mm, um, <laughs> let's see. Boys, girls, no. Just <laughs> <laughs> are you talking about kind of the social concept, yes. like what they're after? So we've yeah. got people that like already invest in real estate. And then you've got the people who have no idea about it. So there's like uh, okay. different, yeah, yeah, different yeah. rates of level. return, right? So Right. Yeah. I always say like there are three buckets of people that you can approach. So it's the friends, family, and acquaintance bucket. That's exactly. the bucket that I like to start. The next bucket is the people who are already 
making these real estate um, loans, right? Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily doing it for a living, like a professional private money lender who's used to getting, you know, two and 12 or whatever's out there right now. Uh, but these are the people that maybe have funded, uh, you know, a small note, or maybe they've taken back a second mortgage so that they understand the mechanics of the deal and they understand how it can be like, you know, a, a cash flow situation for them. And, a, a, you know, you're basically creating paper. So they understand it from a conceptual basis. Um, and then the third bucket is the people who are already in real estate, right? The people that you meet at the Real Estate Investors Association. And one of my greatest sources um, later, once I got outside of that first bucket of friends and family, one of my greatest sources of private money was the big time flippers in my area, right? So they would finish like a big luxury project. I worked with this one guy, Mark, he did these really gorgeous, huge, like multi-million dollar luxury projects in downtown Denver and the surrounding areas. And they would work on these projects for a couple of years and then they'd finally sell them. And then you'd have this giant pot of money, right? That was just kind of sitting there not doing anything while he's looking for his next project. And so I was able to work with those guys and say, guys, why are you just letting your money sit idle or keeping it in like your business checking or business savings account for a pittance in interest? Let's, let me put it to work for you, right? On a short-term basis. We're turning these flips like every four and a half months. Like by the time you get a project, you'll be out of it already, right? We can, we can get your return back and get your principal back in time for your next project. And that became a really great source for us. And, you know, then you, get to avoid all the the kind of the educational component discussion about how real estate works and you don't get somebody kind of breathing down your neck at a job site asking you know why are you using this finish on the countertop instead of granite you know and those kinds of weird conversations that you don't necessarily want to invite a micromanager into the mix um but yeah so it's you know your friend's family Bucket number one, I'm always going to stay, say start with that bucket. That is by far the easiest, no-brainer, low-hanging fruit bucket of private money. There is a ton of money in there. Once you go outside of that, then I would go to the people that are already active in real estate. And then third, I would go to people who have already made some sort of real estate loan. Not a, on a professional basis. It has to be more on a personal basis or else you're going to end up in a, you know, a two and 12 situation again. Yeah. And I look at those three buckets as like the bucket number one, friends and family being the cheapest bucket. That's like the totally. one that I know is, but it also is typically takes the most time. So when I look at time too, what I find is when I'm looking at my projects, it's okay. I've got a couple months. I see this project coming up or I know that I'm going to be in a cash crunch. I might need to raise some capital. Then right. I'll start with that bucket. And if that is that starting to catch a couple fish, I'm starting to see some returns. People are, are getting interested. Then I can play those up until a certain point, but then I'm going to have to go to the people that are going to charge some more money. And then right. you've got the person who is in bucket three, who you can call the day before the deal and they will fund the deal, but you're going to be paying for it. Yeah, so absolutely. that's kind of the structure that I, that I tell a lot of people to follow. So I took those three buckets and then I, I look at my time also because like, for example, I got a call on Friday of somebody who needed money. He got it today from me. And, okay. but my numbers are not exciting for him, but if the deal can afford it, like you said, what can the deal afford? Then he knows what he's, he, we've done deals before. So he knows what my rates are. And absolutely. we don't have the conversation that we're having right now between me and him. I tell him what my rates are and he decides whether he's going to pay it or not. And that's it. Right. So, that's because you're a pro, right? Right. 
We don't well, want to deal with you. We want to deal with Aunt Sue, who like took back a second mortgage back in 1983 and thought it was cool and wants to try it again. Exactly. And the other people that I put in that second bucket that hopefully will help some of the listeners is I, I look at it as somebody who is kind of just savvy in investing in general. So they're, they're to probably a lot of their money is in the stock market, but they understand like they might be able to have a discussion with you between like just regular stocks, picking one or two stocks versus index funds, or they might know what expense ratio is when you start talking about some of that stuff. So uh, it's somebody who is investor savvy to me. And so they're going to be somewhere around I don't know, maybe they want like seven to 8%, something like that. Whatever the average of the stock market is throughout the, the last 20, 30 years, that's probably where they're going to start is they want to see those kind of returns. You got the pro or somebody who's in that bucket three is probably, you know, 12, 12% or so, something like that. And then like you said, Aunt Susie is, she's making 1% and you can double it. And so that's really where you want to start. And, Absolutely. and I love the IRAs and 401ks. That's really just a gold mine because those folks Typically and don't money. need, and they don't need monthly payments. So they're not looking for that. They're, they're just looking for that money to grow and compound over time. So you can, you know, forgo the monthly payments on your project and do a balloon at the end. Um, totally. If, you know, and things like that. So that's really, um, and if you, if you can figure out how to understand, so I moved my money over after I read your book, I started raising some money and I was even scared of the, the IRA. It sounded, I had, I had an IRA since I was a kid in the stock market. And I was in real estate and I was still hesitant to put my money over there because it sounded like, I was like, if this, are these banks FDIC insured? What I don't really understand it. Is, is this really legal? Because um, <laughs> I was brainwashed by the system. So now I moved my money over. I found a great uh, IRA company that I work with. And now I understood the process. I had filled out all the paperwork. I, now I'm able to help my clients do the same thing. Right. And it's, it's so easy to work, walk them through it. And you find, now I found a great partner who they, they do it all. I don't have to do anything. And they'll, they'll handhold all my lenders through it because I brought so much money through their system now. And love it. Love it. Right. Now you've got your system and your process down. Mm -hmm. You know, I also want to raise a point here because this is a big question. Um, and that is, when do you actually raise the capital? People are always waiting until they have the deal before they start pitching. And that is the absolute backward way to do it. Because, you know, going back to that desperation mode that we want to avoid, right? When you have something under contract, the clock is ticking, right? You have what? Usually a maximum of 14 days before you, your earnest money goes hard and you lose it, right? If you have some sort of a contingency for earnest mm -hmm. money or financing or whatever contingency you're writing in. Um, and so once that clock is ticking and you start pitching, now you're, you know, you're really coming at people, you're coming in hot and they're going to be like, whoa, what is happening here? You just reek of desperation, which is why I always raise capital when I don't need it. It's like banks. They're only going to give you a loan when you don't need one. When you really mm -hmm. need a loan, good luck. Right. But it's like when things are going great and you got plenty of money, huh? Maybe now's the time to get a big loan from the bank <laughs> in case I need it. Same concept, right? Get your, uh, start building your private money. I call it your, the capacity list. It's just, you know, you said you just list everybody by the rate of return. I would list them by the rate of return that I promised them or what they wanted, you know, the target rate of return that they were seeking and the amount of capital or capacity that they had to lend. And then it just becomes, you know, you're just going down the list. All right, Joe, you have this much. Do you want in? Yes or no? By the end of the day, let me know. No, I'm out. Okay, Bob, do you, you know, here's what the deal is. And instead of putting yourself in that weird desperation, running around like a chicken with your head cut off mode, trying to raise capital because you have a ticking 
clock, right? Now it's just, it's super easygoing, super simple. It's like, awesome. I'm going to, like you say, add you to the list and I'm going to give you a call when I need you, if I need you, depending on what they want. So always be raising capital before you have the deal. You give yourself so much more opportunity. You're talking about how competitive it is out there. It's not that competitive when you stroll in with a, with a blank check. Yep. You can beat I'm, anybody. Bring I'm it glad, on. I'm glad you brought that up because the, a lot of, I think that goes back to the secret identity piece. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't want to talk about a deal or about raising money until they have one. And, and they're trying to hide what they're doing until it, they see success. I think it's huge. If I was raising money ahead of my deals before, when I was getting started, I would have made a lot more money that first year instead of splitting those deals, right? So yes. had, I, had I taken this advice and done that and not been afraid to put myself out there and, and just created my list of, of the capacity list that you talked about. So that your list is, that concept is what, what drove a lot of the way that I present this to people is, when they give me a high number, I say, well, I use that statement. I can put you on the list, but I, there's a lot of people ahead of you. So if you want to think about that and get back to me on what you want, then just let me know. And usually what that does is it drives them down lower. And usually they say, well, where do I have to be to, to have my money working all the time? Because my, my talk track is if you want your money always working in my company, you need to be around 6%. And it, but you can be at eight, that's fine, but your money might only work half the time. So if you want to work with us half the time, then you're really only going to be making 4%. Yeah. So if you want to make six, I can I make sure it's working all the time. And this is what a lot of these hard money lenders, like you talked about, they'll do is they'll, they'll make sure that they have this money because they know if their money's working at six and they're paying two, they're, they're turning around at two and 12, that they only need to work these people's money like three months. So they can have it in the bank and just continuously churn it. Totally. Absolutely. So it, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to do it this way. Um, you said it in your, your own words, right? If you would have raised money before you needed the deal, you could have made so much more money back in the day. Part of your secret identity. Look, here's the thing. People talk about, well, how can I raise money for something that I don't even know what it is? You know what you're doing right? You, you know if you're a single family investor, if you're like a residential multifamily investor or a large scale multifamily investor or an office investor or a mobile home park investor, whatever it is, right? It's not like you're going in blind. It's what I call a semi-specified offering, meaning I can get down and say, look, we're going after single family homes in the following zip codes. The price target is this. We're usually all in at $170,000, right? Per project. These are the kind of finishes that we do. And this is how long it takes us to flip them. And this is how long it takes you to realize your, your return, right? So you can get like pretty specific in what you're doing, but you have to first know what it is that you're doing, right? You have to be willing to, um, to refine a process and refine a system and commit to something in order to like get these people on that list. And another thing, once they are on your list, not only are they going to be flexible in the interest rate expectation, right? In order to get their money working, but they always have more money than they're telling you. Yep. Always, 100% of the time. I guarantee it. Nobody is, if, if I have a total capacity of a million dollars and I just meet you and you know, you're like, Hey Susan, you know, do you, I have this project and da da da. And I'm like, all right, well, and you say, well, what do you work with? Oh, I'm probably work with about $500,000. I'm never going to like let you know exactly what my total capacity is because I just want to test you out with a little, 
right? To, yep. to let you prove yourself to me and make sure that this is going to be a good partnership. But man, once you get that first deal done and somebody gets that check back and they start seeing exactly what you're capable of doing, now all of a sudden they're very willing to reduce their interest rate. And look, all of a sudden now they have like $500,000 more than they said they had initially that they want to dedicate to you right? Because they, they, you've proven to them that you can put it to work and that you do what you say you're going to do. And that's all this business is. That's all this business is. Do what you say you're going to do. And you will never have a problem with a private money partner. You'll never have a problem with the Securities and Exchange Commission. You'll never, ever have a problem with another investor, ever. you'll be fine. Just do what you say you're going to do. And that's how you keep yourself safe. Yep. I think you nailed it there. People just want to dip their toe in in the beginning, see how the water feels, Mm -hmm. and then they're going to jump all the way in. And I'm no different. So there's people that I lend money to that that listen to the podcast, just so you know. If I told you that I have this much, (laughs) then let's see how you do. And then uh, I I might have some more. And that's the, that's the way it is. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to go all in right from the beginning. Okay. And, you know, if you, if you guys were, came to our event this year at Flip Hacking Live in, in 2019, you heard me share a story about how I lost $70,000 on a house. So I told them about a flip that I did. It was right on a railroad track. I made a lot of mistakes. We kind of uh, didn't think we, it, so this house was on HGTV. So it was on one of the HGTV shows and we lost 70 grand on it. But my, my investors, I had two lenders on it. I had a first and a second on this house. It was an expensive house in Pensacola, Florida. And um, they made $50,000 combined on this house and I lost 70. So those lenders, I could have called them up and said, Hey guys, um, I got a problem here. We're going to lose money on this house. You got your interest rates a little bit high. It's a loan was a lot longer than I thought. What I'd like to do is return your money. Uh, just, just the principal. And then we'll do another deal again or decide like I would, could try to negotiate that. Right. Or I could pay them the $50,000 that they're due. And then I could take the hit, lose 70 and be on my way and call them the next time and they'll lend me over and over and over again. So, I mean, if you're listening to this, just ask yourself, what would you do in that situation? Because I'll tell you what I did. I paid them. They didn't even know that I lost money on the house. And I went, we just kept going and we, we do a lot of volume. So it wasn't the, it was, if that was the only house that I was doing, I would have been in trouble. But this is what you do. Susan just said, if you do what you say you're going to do, you will not have a problem. I won't have a problem calling those people up and, and borrowing their money again. They're in projects with me right now. So it's, it's doing what you say you're going to do is the only thing that matters in this business and frankly in life. Like yeah. this is no different than anything else that we do, but it comes back to that relationship business. How are you treating people? How are you treating the relationship? It goes with the sellers. It goes with your buyers. It goes with your, your lenders. If you treat people the way that you want to be treated, and do even better than you want to be treated. Like you will do very, very well in this business and in life. So that's it. Simple. Super simple. Yep. The end. <laughs> so before we sign off, I, I just want to cover one more thing before we, um, before we close out. Yes. <clears throat> and it's, it's really, and I think it's important and we touched on it a little bit, but it's about just giving, like updating your, your lenders and really kind of just keeping them, um, keeping them kind of like warmed up because that's, I think that's the thing that bites a lot of people when they, they borrow money. They don't, might not give them updates. They might not follow up with them. They just kind of like disappear. And yeah. that's the, that can really hurt you. I think. It can absolutely hurt you. Um, 
Yeah. So I call it, it's private money partner management, right? Uh, and I really look at, I mean, my whole philosophy is that all lasting business relationships are based on friendship, right? If I might not know you when we first start working together, but if I am going to bring you on as one of my private money partners, then I've made a long-term commitment to you. Um, and I'm going to now treat you like a friend, right? Because I, I try not to have this big delineation between, oh, you're just a business associate versus you're a friend of mine. I don't really see that line. If we're doing business, I have to like you, right? I have to have fun with you because I'm not going to do business if, with jerks. I just don't. You know, and like you say, there are people that come to you, like, you know, your aunt who says, oh, well, how much money do you need? So she kind of came in hot with a little bit of an attitude and you're like, whoa, right? Let's take a step back. I don't need your money, right? But if, you know, we want to reframe it a little bit, then maybe I can use it. I've had people in business, just like we all have, right? Come in hot and think, oh, I'm going to just take this over and uh, I'm going to run this thing the way that I want to run it. And, you know, I'm just going to be my usual jerk self and expect that that's going to be okay. It's not okay, right? I... I have a very strict no assholes policy in my business and I don't care what capacity you are in in my business, you don't get to act that way. So the first thing is that we, if I'm making a long-term commitment to you in business, then like it or not, <laughs> we're going to be friends. Uh, so I like to do things that like cool friends would do, right? When we lived in Denver, um, we lived right downtown. And so I was able to, I had a friend who, um, was really into hockey and they had a suite at the Pepsi Center, but they were hockey guys. So when you have a suite at one of these arenas, you get all the tickets for all the things. And so that's where the Nuggets played as well, basketball games, but they didn't have any interest in basketball. So then I could buy the basketball suite tickets and the suite held, it holds about 12 people and you can have catering in there and, uh, you know, food and alcohol. And it's a, it's a pretty cool experience. And so I just thought, you know, this is going to be the absolute best way to do kind of my business entertaining. And so if you were one of my private money partners, then you knew that this was one of the perks that you got. You got to go see the nuggets in the suite, right? And so it held 12. I didn't have more than 12 private money partners and we would regularly party in that suite. And it got to be something where instead of people would come and say, hey, I want to work with you on real estate deals, people would say, what do I have to do to get in the suite? <laughs> I would also, um, at holidays, I would send people uh, bottles of Dom Perignon champagne, right? Uh, I would celebrate our anniversary, right? Not their birthday and not their like wedding anniversary or whatever, but I would always celebrate the anniversary of the closing of our first deal. And I would make it a big deal. So I'd send them like uh, flowers or champagne or something that I knew that they liked with, you know, like a card saying it's our anniversary, you know, and that always got a big laugh. Um, it's just, you know, you made the comment before about like, what would you expect? How, how, do, how do you want to be treated? If I'm investing in your business and participating in the growth of your business, right? And I am a long-term partner in this business, I expect to be treated a certain way. I don't expect you to ghost. I don't, I expect you to take my calls and I expect you um, to interact with me. And if that interaction can be fun and recreational and cool, then even better, 
right? Uh, I, ha I worked with this one guy once who, like, he only called people and spoke to his private money partners when something went wrong. He's like, well, I need to communicate the bad news quickly. I'm like, well, sure, but what else are you communicating? You're not communicating any good news, right? So all the, the only impression that these people have of you and what you're doing is that you're doing all this stuff wrong because you only call them when there's a problem. Absolute wrong way to do it, right? Obviously, you're going to deliver bad news quickly, but when you, it's just, it can become one little tiny layer in all of these other layers of goodness, right? And so then it's, it's not as bad and it's more manageable and they're more committed to helping you find a solution as opposed to saying, oh, well, you ghosted on me. Now give me my money back so I can ghost on you. So it all comes down to relationships. And I think those, the, those business relationships are based on friendship and those friendships can evolve and you need to treat people like, you know, like you would expect to be treated in the same exact situation. Well, I'll tell you, I'm really glad I asked that because my, like my mindset on this is I get, I send out like a quarterly update, basically a business update of what we're doing. So they see how the company is going. And that's going. great too. It's great. Oh. I know, but you, 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 what I wrote down here is I got to up my game. That's what I wrote you down on the game. corner. Yeah, if that's all you're doing. And, you we, to... and we do some video, uh, like video walkthroughs. So what I realized, I hired somebody to do social media for us. So all the video walkthroughs, mm -hmm. I put them on Facebook. So our lenders could see, it actually reduced my workload. And yes. so she does all these walkthroughs. Then the lender can see, oh, there's my property. It's at this point. So before I was sending update, hey, we're here and we expect to be done by this date. But now it's all in the video. It's all on our Facebook page. We get, you know, comments, likes, all these people jumping in on our Facebook page. But so I wrote down, I got up my game because the, that whole like anniversary is really cool. You're so used to getting things on your birthday and Christmas and, and holidays and all that stuff. But when you actually have a connection there and what else I wrote down is actually get to know them individually. So what is that thing that they would like where they feel like it's actually handpicked for them? So that's something yeah. that, that I'm doing now inside of this uh, mastermind group is really understand who our people are and what they like to do. Because I'll tell you, at Christmas, I get these like, I love desserts, but I, I can't control myself. So yeah. I would love it if somebody would send me like healthy food instead of really junk food, but they don't get to know me to say, okay, well, we know that he won't eat this stuff. But they also don't know that when you send me something, it, I can't throw it away or give it to somebody else. I, I feel bad if I don't eat it. And then I end up eating like an entire sleeve of cookies if you send me cookies. So you know, get it, actually really getting to know somebody and, and handpicking something for them, that is, is a total game changer in it's business. It's huge. Completely. It's huge. I even talk about this in the presentation, right? That's part of the, the pitch, right, is I think there are two components to a successful pitch. And one of them is something that I call the coolness factor, right? You need to figure mm -hmm. out what, what is cool in what you're doing so that they're attracted to that. Um, and the second is alignment right? Find out, like, what do you guys have in common? And so you're, uh, as you explore that, right, you're, all that stuff is just going to come out anyway, right? So if I'm into dogs, and I had a German Shepherd that was like my sole dog, that was the best dog that I ever had, Dexter, and I see that you're into German Shepherds, dude, you're going to have a hard time shaking me as a friend, because mm -hmm. now I love you, <laughs> just because we have this alignment factor, mm -hmm. right? And I guarantee you, the flip side is true, where they're like, oh, God, if she was in love with a German Shepherd, she can't be all bad. She's not going to lose my money. I'm going to do some work with her, right? So it's, you have to get to know these people, right? I, 
it's a huge mistake. You know, you talked before about you work so hard to get the seller lead and then you just fall down and roll over with the private money. Same thing. You work so hard in pitching these people and getting access to the capital that they have and then you're just going to ghost on them and you're not going to make them feel special or you're just going to like maybe send them a check once every six months and say, hey, you want to do it again? That's no way to treat people. Yeah right? That's, that's no way to treat people. I mean, you look at retail establishments. It's like, why do you think they have like loyalty cards? And why do you think that they try to learn your name and, you know, try to, uh, like, I, I got a personal shopper from Chico's that like reaches out to me every 10 minutes, like, come in, I want to help you and only you. It's like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll get there eventually. But dude, you know, but this is, this is the kind of up-leveled experience that we all want. Mm-hmm right? It's not, I, it's not just making a good return on our money because honestly, you know, we can, stock markets going gangbusters right now, we can throw our money at something and probably make a hell of a lot more than six or 7%. But it's that relationship and being part of something. And I got to tell you, I'm jealous of you guys, you know, now with social media. We didn't have social media back when I first started doing this back in the 90s. And uh, oh man, from a, just a communication perspective and using it as a tool to sh- you know, showcase what you're doing so that, you know, you can just a- attract private money partners and other partners and vendors even and seller deals and buyers just from what you are able to put out on social media. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it comes with a sense of pride when somebody says, that's something that I invested in. I made that possible. Look what we're doing. Look what my partner and I are doing, right? That's, that's an amazing experience that you've given someone in addition to a really great return on their money. Yeah, I, I, I really love that. It's just maintaining that relationship is so much easier than going out to build another one. And you know, if you listen to Susan earlier, that they only gave you 100,000 of the 500,000. So if you nurture and maintain that relationship and build that relationship, you're going to unlock the rest of it. And, totally. and it's just so much cheaper and easier and less time. I mean, look at your time as the most valuable commodity that you have. You're going to go spend time looking for somebody else because you ruined the relationship, the good relationship that you already had. So, okay, I'm up in my game. You just got me to spend more money this year. If you're one of my private <laughs> lenders, you're probably, this is your favorite podcast you've ever heard that we've done. So, uh, expect just your, got a champagne. That's right. So now I have to go back and figure out what our anniversary date of our first deal was and do all this. So, and Jen, my assistant, if you're listening, we got some work to do. So, um, Susan, uh, this, I think this will be probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular podcast that we did, not just for the, like what we talked about, but you're probably the easiest person and coolest person to talk to. Just very, you, you live the principles in your book of that relationship and just being kind of down to earth kind of person. So I really enjoyed talking with you today. I appreciate that. I enjoyed talking to you too. I love it. Thanks for, you know, all of the great feedback about the book and thanks for sharing it with your folks. And thanks for having me on here because I think these, these topics, um, this is kind of the more nuanced stuff that, you know, sometimes you can't pick up from a book or from a video or something. So I love doing these things so that people can kind of get a, get a deep dive into some of the more nuanced things that are really going to be responsible for their ultimate success. Yeah. So before we let you go, what are some places that our listeners can find you? Do you want them to find you? What do you have going on right now? I, it's, it's, it's up to you. You can put out whatever you want. Do, yeah. do you have anything going on? you have anything you want to announce, promote, anything like that? 
Yeah, just buy the book. You know, you yeah. can, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's called Getting the Money. Uh, it's over at gettingthemoney.com. If you want to look me up, I'm at susanlassiterlyons.com and you can kind of see what I'm working on there. But, you know, this isn't a big sales pitch. I just like to come on these things and, and give value and talk about this topic that's really very near and dear to my heart. Awesome. Well, uh, we, I'm going to probably buy at least another hundred books over the next few months. I love cool. to give, this is my favorite one to give out. I, I, if anybody asked me about money, I said, look, somebody spent a lot of time writing everything that I know and putting it in a book and it won't take you very long to read. It's a very easy read. I read it every year. I just go through, I love it. I have it on my Kindle and I just rip through it on my Kindle. I absolutely love it. So, um, I recommend everybody that's listening, pick it up and, um, and support Susan. She's awesome. She came on this podcast. She put all of her secrets into a book for all of you to learn and it can help you in anything. If you're single family, multifamily, whatever you do in anything, any aspect of your life um, where you need some money for it. I don't care if you own a bakery or coffee shop or shoe store. I mean, it'll help you for sure. Yep. So thanks for spending time with me today. Uh, I really had a good time and I can't wait to kind of put this out for our listeners. I think they're, they're really going to get a lot from it. Awesome. Thanks. All right, Susan. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.